Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. This is the day the Lord has made. You know, it's never been more important than today is to have a smart, a biblical Christian worldview. We're going to talk about that today with David Wheaton. I want you to have and embrace a Christian worldview. There's no better person to help me do that and help us do that than David. He's the host of The Christian Worldview, and you can learn more about him at his website, also called thechristianworldview.com. David, welcome. Good to be with you today, Bill. Well, it is so important, you know, when Paul talks about how important it is to defend the faith, I think, well, you have to know what the faith is before you can defend it. And that, that's for sure. And you know, this, this concept of a Christian worldview has become more talked about, more thought about, I think, in the day and age in which we live, because it's clear that the culture, the society, the nation, the world around us has anything but a biblical or Christian worldview. So at this, at this stage, more important than ever now for Christians truly to have a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. And we're going to walk this out over a year. We're going to do a uh, one episode a month, and we're already in part three. Maybe we could just do a little brush up and discuss some of the most important points from last time. Yeah, sure. Last time in part two, we talked about the foundation of a Christian worldview. And one of the things we discussed, Bill, was that there are really only two bases for any kind of worldview. Christianity is based on Christ, as as the word implies, Christianity. That's based on the Word of God, right? Christ is, is God in human flesh. That's so based on Him and His Word. Every other worldview, uh, whether it's a secular or even a religious worldview, is based on something other than the Word of God. It's based on the Word of man. It's based on humans or humanism. So you have secular humanism. We've all heard of that. You know, secular humanists are basically atheistic, naturalistic, materialistic. They believe nothing became something and exploded and evolved and everything. There's no, there's nothing beyond us. Man is God with a lower, a lower case G. Then you have religious humanists who, who may believe in God or gods, the spirit, maybe they're spiritual, but it's not an accurate view of God that's revealed in the Bible. And so religious humanists are where man morphs God for his own ends. So religious humanists today, today are those who use terms of Christianity to advance more liberal societal and political ends. They'll say, well, Jesus was a really good moral teacher, and the purpose of Jesus you know, on earth was to enact social justice and to, to liberate people from oppression. Th- that will be a, a typical religious humanistic statement. So all worldviews are based on one of two things. There's one worldview that's based on the Word of God, that's Christianity, And all the other worldviews, whether secular or religious, are based on the words of man, at least partly. They may say God, some gods had something to do with it, but their founders and the developers of that religion, whether it's Islam and so forth, Muhammad, these, their truths, their their source documents are on the words of men. And then then we talked about, Bill, 
do Americans have a Christian worldview? We talked about some of these studies that have been done by Barna or by Ligonier, the State of Theology survey that comes out every other year, and it just shows how few Americans, you know, below 10% of all Americans actually have a biblical worldview. And then worse than that is that a very low percentage, under 20% of of born-again, so-called born-again Christians actually have a biblical worldview, which to me seems, how does that even— how does it even work? How can mm-hmm. you be a born-again Christian and not you know, attest to some of the fundamentals of the faith? But So most Christians in our country have a syncretistic worldview. It's like going to the buffet restaurant where you get your plate and you kind of fill up your plate with a little bit of this and a little bit of that according to what you like, rather than what you know to be truthful from Scripture. You just say, well, that, that makes sense to me. I'll appropriate that as part of my worldview and take a little bit of that, too. Mm-hmm. And so it's all kind of mixed together. So this non-Christian worldview we have in our society today, where the vast majority of our population does not have a biblical worldview, explains why I think many Christians would see our society today and think, what has gone wrong? I mean, look at the breakdown of, of marriage and family, the, the confusion over things like gender and sexuality, the rampant immorality in our, in our society, suicide, violence, division, hatred. You name the problem— and it's fundamentally, Bill, it's, it's, about, it's about rejecting God and His Word. It's about rejecting the Christian worldview. That, that's the definition of insanity, really, is going against the God who created you, and that's what's taking place in our society today. And I'll just say one more thing as part of review, is that we went over what the foundation of a Christian worldview is. And I'll just give the four points, and then we can go on to something new. Okay. But there's, a, there's an external revelation that God gave us, for how we know he, why we know God exists and He speaks. That's the foundation of a Christian worldview. The external revelation is that He's He's made creation. He's given us internal revelation and within our conscience that we know right and wrong because God put it there. Number three, God's given us personal revelation, which is Christ, God in human flesh. And the fourth evidence of this foundation that God exists and speaks of a Christian worldview is God's communication. He's given us special revelation which is Scripture. That's, that's really the foundation for the biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. So good. David Wheaton is my guest. We're talking about embracing a Christian worldview. So, David, you get people that will say to you, boy, the Bible's outdated. It's not relevant for today. It's got all these contradictions. So why should we trust the Bible to be true? Well, this is a, a kind of a two-sided question. For the outside world, that really—I I heard Ray Comfort recently. We had him on our own program recently. He talked about the Christian's objective is not to prove to the non-believing world or to an unbeliever you're talking to in a gospel conversation that the Bible is true. It, we, we know it's true, and we'll get into that in a second, but we're really trying to help someone understand the gospel who God is, who we are as sinners, what Christ did for us in the cross, and the call to repent and believe. Of course, a non-believer is not going to believe the Bible is true. That's just the definition of a non-believer. They won't believe <laughs> that the Scripture is true, so mm-hmm. of course it's not. So trying to convince them of that probably isn't the best starting place. They need to be converted, regenerated, born again. And once you're born again, then God gives you the Holy Spirit to begin to understand the claims of Scripture and why we can trust the Bible to be true. So again, there's four more things here. The Bible claims that it is inspired by God, that it is inerrant, it's without error, 
it's immutable. It's it's that means it's fixed or unchangeable, and it's infallible. It's trustworthy. It, it cannot fail. So inspired, inerrant, immutable, infallible. And there's verses that go with every one, just for the sake of time. I won't go over each one, but you know, for instance, Christ said about the inerrancy of Scripture: sanctify them in the truth. He prayed to his Father, "Your word is truth." Uh, you know, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away, Jesus said. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So anyone can make a claim, though, Bill. We can make claims about the Bible. What's the evidence that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, immutable, and infallible, that we can trust it for our worldview? Well, if you look at that question, that's an important question. We, sh- as Christians, should be able to think about that and say, "Am I just basing my my worldview, my life, on something that's not trustworthy?" And absolutely not. I mean, the Bible is the most accurate book ever written. No, no event, person, or place has ever been proven wrong in this huge, long book that was written by 66 books by 40 authors uh, over 1,500 years. It has one unified theme about God's plan of redemption through his son. I mean, there's an incredible accuracy to scripture. Archaeology upholds that. There's a unity across those 66 books written by 40 different authors. You could never do that, you know, if there wasn't a supernatural source to it. Of course, the fulfilled prophecies, there's hundreds of prophecies in scriptures that were precisely fulfilled, especially particularly with the person of Christ and his coming, born in Bethlehem from Nazareth, is, you know, read Isaiah 53 sometime. It's just irrefutable uh, that the prophecies of Scripture attest to the trustworthiness of it. The integrity of Scripture, we have so many copies of Scripture, that's actually a good thing. You compare copies to copies, and you realize that 99.9% of what we have in Scripture today goes all the way back to the earliest copies we have. And then finally, of course, the testimony of scripture that it, it changes lives. It, it makes it makes the apostles go from being doubtful about Christ's resurrection to seeing him raised and saying, I'm willing to be to die over this because I believe it's true. And so the Bible is a supernatural book. It, it it reveals the mind of God. We don't worship the Bible. We don't pray to the Bible. The Bible is simply God revealing himself to us. So we we worship the God who inspired the Bible. And so that's why it's the foundation for a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. So David, the question that then pops into my head is, you know, if, if I think of, this is probably a horrible illustration, but if there's 10 swimmers and they all jump in the pool, they're all in the pool and they're all wet. So <laughs> everyone should be in the same situation. So as believers unified with a Christian worldview, we should all be following the same Christian worldview, shouldn't we? Yes. So why doesn't everyone follow and believe this incredible Christian worldview? That's certainly a good question, because we talk about the reliability of Scripture, the evidences that God's revealed himself through creation, through conscience, through Christ, through his communication of his word. So it seems so obvious when you're a believer, but so why doesn't everyone believe and follow the Christian worldview is, is your question. And the answer is actually pretty simple. The answer is, well, we want to be God instead of God being God. We want to rule, not have someone rule over us. We want to be in authority, not be under authority. And, and this started at the very beginning of time. Go back to Genesis 3 in the garden when the serpent Satan is, is, is tempting Eve. He says, he said to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? 
you see what he's saying there? He's saying he, he's questioning what, what God has said, whether, whether God really knows best. You know, he, he's trying to twist what God has said so that there, there's, a, there's doubt injected mm-hmm. in, into us toward God. It's, it's really, do you want to be under the authority of, of God? Don't you, wouldn't you rather be under the, wouldn't you rather be your own authority? And wouldn't you rather become like God, is, is what Satan said in the next sentence. You, you'll, you'll become like God. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be powerful and all-knowing if you eat from the, the tree. God's trying to limit you. And that's really the battle within ourselves, and it's really the battle against the outside world. Are we going to trust, live by? Are we going to proclaim what God has said in his word and never give up on that foundation, no matter what people in society are telling us? Are we going to trust God at his word, even when our mind and our desires say differently. That, that's really the test for us. That, that's faith. Are we going to trust God at his word? Um, and so rather than trusting the wisdom of fallen man. And so this is why that the, the, the Bible has all these claims and evidences and it's true and so forth. It really fundamentally goes down to who gets to be the authority. Is, is it God or is it us? And that's where we struggle. Mm-hmm. David Wheaton is my guest. We're continuing our study on embracing a Christian worldview. We're going to take a little break and come back and continue with David in just a minute. Hi, Faith Radio family. It's Bill Arnold from the Afternoons with Bill Arnold show. Boy, the creativity never ends, does it? So here you are listening to a podcast, which makes me very happy. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for being interested in Faith Radio and the podcasts. Now, because the podcasts are made available because of listener support, I would like to ask you kindly and prayerfully to consider supporting the show and Faith Radio. So you can become a Afternoons with Bill Arnold supporter by doing that at My Faith radio.com. So thank you for listening to the show and your financial support makes podcasts like mine possible and helps tell more people around the world about Jesus through Faith Radio app. Support the show now, please, at myfaithradio.com. I'm back with David Wheaton. He's the host of The Christian Worldview. I highly recommend you check him out at thechristianworldview.com. And David, during the break, I was scrambling to uh, get to Galatians chapter 1 because I, I love this passage where it says... It even, Hi, this is Bill. But even I we or an angel from so heaven good, preach a I gospel wanted you to hear other it again. than the one we so preached enjoy. to let them be under God's curse. And I think when we submit into God's authority, there is one gospel one message, and we should all be unified, and therefore we should all be following this Christian worldview. You're right, and we can be unified. Unity is often mentioned today in broader society, and that's really not possible in broader society when you have a, such a diversity. You know, people often say diversity is our strength. Well, in some ways, if you have diverse worldviews is clashing against each other all the time, like we see in our society, how can you have unity? amongst people who have diametrically opposed viewpoints. That's impossible to have unity. But in the church, we really should have unity because we have a book. And when we accurately interpret that book, we should be able to arrive at 
real a lot of unity or at least very close. There's always going to be some differences, but not the kind of polar differences mm. that people get in, in trying to understand and teach the scripture today. So we really should have unity, and that's what we should strive for. Mm-hmm. So, David, how do the fundamentals of a Christian worldview come out of the foundation of a Christian worldview? So, how do we get yeah, our how do we get our fundamentals? Well, if you if you kind of picture this as the words you use there, fundamentals and foundation. Well, foundation is think of a home. You you put a foundation when you're building a home down first. That's what the home sits on. And we've talked about the foundation of a Christian worldview what it rests on. It rests on the fact that God exists and he's spoken, he's revealed himself in his word. That's the foundation. That's where we start from. Now, we, to build off that, you build up. And you can, whether you want to call it the fundamentals or the framework of a Christian worldview, that really goes from what it's based on to the framework explains what God is actually doing in this world. And if you think about life in our world, it, it is pretty diverse and varied and sometimes confusing. I mean, you think about the enjoyable times you have with family and friends or accomplishing something you you really worked hard for, the the joy of holding a, a newborn pa- baby or maybe a, a little puppy or just taking in the, the beauty of the natural world. And you just think life is just awesome. <laughs> but at the same rate, you think about the oppression and injustice and revenge and the violence and the war and the disappointments and the divorce and the de- disease and death that takes place all over the world all the time. And you think life is just brutal. So, so we, you know, we live in a, it's just a, it gives you whiplash living in our, our world. And so how do you make sense of all these contradictions and these complexities of life? And this is where the Christian worldview comes in. I mean, do you just kind of conclude that life is just random and it's unexplainable or is God really paying attention? Is he powerless to stop all the world's problems, the my problems? If God is good, here's that one question. If God is good, why is there so much pain and suffering and conflict and disease and death in the world? So you hear these questions, and those are all good questions. They're all answerable. And I think most people don't have a worldview that provides truthful or satisfying answers to those kinds of questions, Bill, or some of the other big questions in life, like what's the purpose of life? Well, what's, what's gone wrong in the world? What's the solution to what's gone wrong in the world? Or what happens in the future? What should I be looking forward to? And this is what some people use a big word and say, what, what, what's the meta narrative of history or basically the, the overarching story of what's taken place since creation till now? And so I think there are four fundamentals of a Christian worldview or four parts of the framework that spring up from that foundation of a Christian worldview that provide and give us understanding for what is going on in the world and how we, you and me, individually fit into it. And when you understand these four fundamentals, you won't be shocked or anxious at what is taking place in the world. Rather, you'll see that God has actually a perfect plan that he's been enacting all along, that he's working toward his intended ends, and it's going to be come out right on time. And so we'll, we'll talk about these four fundamentals. I'm just going to list them here because just as a, so you kind of know where we're going, okay. but the four fundamentals of a Christian worldview are creation, corruption, redemption, restoration. So just a brief little headline for each one, creation, God created perfection, and he established his will and his ways at the very beginning of time. Mm-hmm. Number two, corruption, that man rebelled against God, and that wrought corruption, death, and alienation from God. 
point three, redemption. In the midst of all this corruption, God is graciously providing one way of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. And the final fundamental is restoration. In the future, God will reward the righteous. He will punish the rebels. He's going to create a new heavens and new earth. Mm -hmm. And so the first three of those, interestingly, Bill, are introduced in the very first chapters of the Bible. God wastes no time of of talking about creation, uh, corruption, and redemption right away in the first Mm -hmm. several chapters. And so once you grasp those four fundamentals or that framework of a biblical worldview— You'll view the Bible as not some long, disconnected book or the world is spinning out of control, but you'll you'll see how those four fundamentals God is using to help you understand all of history, the purpose of life, to answer the big questions of life and how you and I fit into life in this world. Mm-hmm. David, let's spend a little bit of time on, on each one of these fundamentals. Let's start with creation. So a perfect God created a perfect world, and so how does this first fundamental establish God's intended design for our life. You know, a few years ago, I was reading the first couple of chapters of Genesis. It may have been on, you know, like a lot of people do. They try to read through the Bible an entire year, and I've read Genesis quite a few times. And as you read the first few chapters of Genesis, you begin to see how many, I guess you could call them institutions of life, that God set forward right at the very beginning. Like, look at the first verse. In in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3, let there be light, God said, and there was light, and there was evening and morning one day. And the next four days, God created the land and the seas, plants and trees, sun and moon, fish, birds, uh, land animals, all of it. And then when you arrive at day 6, at the end of chapter 1, verse 26, it says, God said, let us— there's the even the Trinity is introduced here, right in the first chapter of the Bible. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them, man, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle, over every creeping things on the earth. God made man in his own image. He made them male and female. He created them. And he said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and rule over the fish of the sea. So you, you look at just this first chapter, Bill. And God looked at what he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. This was the creation week. And so here's what we find out in literally just the opening chapter of the Bible about this first fundamental of creation, that there's a pre-existing, all-knowing, all-powerful God that exists and speaks. We've already talked about that. Mm -hmm. But he also created two humans in two genders, male and female, named Adam and Eve, uniquely in his own likeness. He tells them to multiply and rule over creation and the animals. Everything was very good, perfect. There was no problems yet. And so there's all these things right in the very beginning. I mean, think about the the the, the arguments and debates today over you can choose your own gender. Mm-hmm. Well, well, God established right in the very first chapter of Genesis. No, he made them male and female. And, you know, the, the idea even of environmentalism, that man needs to be subservient rather than being rule over or stewarding the earth, a man needs to be subservient. You know, the, the earth is more important than humans. We need to depopulate some. Yeah. You know, so there's all these different things that we see battled over today. Just look on Twitter sometime. And all of them literally go right back into the first couple chapters of Genesis where God establishes the, the fundamental that a perfect God created the perfect world. 
So good. David, uh, this is uh, we're out of time, unfortunately. So let's pick this up next time we discuss uh, embracing a Christian worldview. I so appreciate you spending time with us today. I always enjoying, enjoy spending time with you, Bill. And uh, God's Word is so good, and we praise Him for it. Amen. All right. Have a great rest of the day. You too, Bill. Thanks so much. David Wheaton has been my guest. You can go to thechristianworldview.com. Check it out. We'll be right back. exactly is heresy and uh, and what does the bible have to say about it i know what the, the webster's dictionary would say they would say that heresy is it adherence to a religious opinion contrary to church dogma and a second definition would be is dissent or deviation from a dominant theory opinion or practice that's what our topic is today with Dr. Alex McFarlane. You can always learn more about Alex at alexmcfarlane.com. Alex, welcome. Well, thank you, Bill. It's always a, a privilege to be on Faith Radio and to converse with you. Well, thank you so much. Well, you know, when you hear the word heresy, some people think of uh, like medieval torture chambers or trials of some kind, but uh, there, that was certainly a period of church history. But let's talk about heresy today. Yeah, I mean, um, people might associate that word with, like, crazed people being on some witch hunt to, you know, persecute somebody simply because there's a, a minor bit of disagreement or something like that. But really, in terms of Christianity, there there are some basic uh, truth claims of Christianity that one has to acknowledge if one is going to become a Christian. Things like the the deity of Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that on the cross he died for the sins of the world, and we come into a relationship with Christ by putting our faith in Jesus. Also, that the Bible is the Word of God, and it's not merely that the Bible contains the Word of God, but know that the Bible is the Word of God. And, Bill, this is kind of the... Um, the uh, irreducible minimum below which we do not go. Uh, the Word of God, the Son of God, being born again to become a child of God. And if we deviate seriously from, from these basics of the Christian faith, and which people are free to do that, people are free to turn away from what Christ has revealed, but it's no longer Christianity. In fact, there's a Greek word, the word heresy means... Um, it really means a thing chosen. Hmm. Um, we can choose truth or we can choose something other than truth, but um, every generation, really every generation of Christians has to recommit itself to being the custodians of true truth, biblical truth, uh, orthodoxy, not heresy. And uh, I, I would say, Bill, that we're in a time when the preservation of truth is perhaps more critical than at any other previous time in our lifetimes. 
I would agree completely, Alex. And in, and I think it's Acts 24, t- talks about, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they called a sect. So they were, they were Christians are, were being called heretics by the Jews. Yes, isn't that something? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I was studying this because there, there are a lot of hot-button issues. I mean, things that, you know, I, I will grant you, if you speak bold, clear, unequivocal truth, it can be very volatile. I realize that. I mean, if, if you say, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman, and, you, you know, all homosexual activity in the eyes of God is sin. Now, God loves people. Whosoever will may come. Promiscuous heterosexuals can be forgiven. I mean, but if you come out for things the Bible is very clear about, it's going to really make some people angry. Uh, even things like creation. Um, Bill, um, I'm, I'm not ashamed at all to say, and I, I mean, I've spent you know 30 years studying this, hundreds of visits to hundreds of libraries, and published 19 books and interviewed dozens and dozens of scholars on all sides of the issues. Bill, I believe that when the Bible says God created in six literal days and rested on the seventh, I believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, just even as you and I record, there's a pretty major Christian leader back east who's come out believing in theistic evolution. And he says there's no conflict between evolution and Scripture. But, and and I, I don't want to get us off on this topic necessarily, but in a an evolutionary worldview, evolution depends on death for there to give rise to new species of life. The less fit die off, the, the, the more fit evolve. But in the Christian worldview... There was no death before the fall of Genesis 3. And so really, I mean, it might sound convenient and it might placate, um, you know, church members, but evolution and biblical creation, biblical cosmology, are not compatible. But but here, here's what I'd like to say, that I, I notice we're in a time where even Christian leaders, they'll, they'll write me and they'll say, um, well, you know, it's not, it's not dogma, but it's the search. What matters is the search. And heresy, Bill, heresy carries with it a kind of false humility. That heresy denies the knowledge of truth in favor of the alleged search for truth. Um, but but it's, what you're saying is the destination is that there's no destination. Mm-hmm. My my denial of dogma is the dogma that there is no dogma. <laughs> well, you know, well said. And so, so my point being is, look, every person commits themselves to some sort of position. The question is, is it a biblical position? And I've had even even Christians or professed Christians say to me, well, you know what, I, I I'm just not qualified to say something definitive. I really think the important thing is being sincere about your journey. Whoa. Well, no. I mean, we can be clear where the Bible has been clear. 
and where the Word of God... And by the way, I would say compelling lines of evidence point to the authenticity of Scripture. And so when it comes to our origin, our purpose, our destiny, how we know the true and living God, how we are to live, you know, what is morality, marriage, family, church, salvation, the Word, the word of God has been eminently clear on these things. And I guess my point in having this conversation is just to warn people, don't be lulled into a complacency about the, the false humility of, of heresy. Um, we don't need to be cocky or arrogant, but where the Bible has spoken clearly, we need to believe, and we also need to take that clear, unequivocal stand as well. Mm-hmm. Dr. Alex McFarlane is my guest, talking about heresy, and you know regarding Christianity and heresy, Alex, Second uh, Peter 2.1 says, there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So when we talk about what's going on today, I can't remember a time where I think I've been aware of more false teachers and more false messengers than right now. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, and let me just say this. Heresy markets itself as quote, the new genuine. Yeah, true. You know, oh, the old, old story, you know, oh, the the blood and repentance and Jesus is the only way. Uh, but but honestly, in this modern era, come on, Bill, it's the 21st century. You know, the, the, the more important issue is tolerance and love. And I mean, come on, who's to say what's really real? Well, the, the Word of God. And it, it's interesting that like... Peter warned us about so many centuries ago that near the end of time, there will be people, think about this, that which is inauthentic will insist that it is the authentic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. See, Jesus, the only risen Savior, Scripture, the revealed Word of God, that is what's authentic. And yet we're living in a time when professed Christians and even ordained clergy, sometimes they are, you know, very shrewdly and uh, smoothly setting forth something inauthentic, telling people this is what is the authentic. Yeah. And Alex, it seems that that produces more division than anything else. Well, and even worse than that, it misleads people. Yes. I mean, there are people... I've conversed literally with thousands of people that say, well, you know, my pastor, I mean, he's he's a pastor, and he doesn't have a problem with, you know, fill in the blank, transgenderism, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know. But um, let me just say this, that the most important thing that we need is a church that is willing, yes, lovingly, patiently, but unequivocally to say, uh, I know where I stand because I know where the Bible stands. And the Bible says what it says. We proclaim it, we believe it, and we will never deviate from it. Mm-hmm. And Alex, if you have a disagreement in the church, that, that doesn't make it heresy. I, I think when heresy uh, shows up is when the, uh, the understanding is in defiance of, of clear biblical teaching. Right. Yeah, and... And we, we should not disagree disagreeably. And 
whenever you have humans, I mean, there are going to be differences of opinion on ancillary things. It's like Augustine said, you know, uh, we're, you know, uh, in all things love and charity, color of the carpet, style of music, you know, even things like the church schedule or whatever. Um, I mean, we can give grace and give space in any of the non-essential things, but when you're talking about the atonement and what it means to be a believer, uh, you know, being born again, um, when we're talking about the nature of morals and and it's called natural law, you know, Romans 2, 14 and 15 and well, Romans 1, 18 and following and Romans 2, 14 and following. Uh, it talks about when the Gentiles who did not have the law of God instinctively by nature do the things prescribed by the law, it shows that the law is written on every heart. And, um, you know, the Bible is very clear about uh, right and wrong. The Bible is very clear about what is marriage, what is family, what is human sexuality. The Bible is very clear about even, you know, the, nat the, the nature of the church, the nature of Israel. So many things that are really the uh, potentially explosive issues today. And we have to remember it's nobody's opinion. It's not anybody's preference, but it's God's revelation. And we have to, in every generation, uh, R.C. Sproul said this many years ago. There was 40-something years ago, around 1980, there was um, a big gathering in Chicago, Illinois, Norm Geisler, R.C. Sproul, James Kennedy, Josh McDowell, a lot of names that people would be familiar with, met John MacArthur, and they, they had the Chicago Council on Biblical Inerrancy, that the Bible is the in, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And Sproul said, in, in every generation, we have to recommit ourselves and restate our fidelity to the, the infallible Word of God. And I think we have to do that again, that um, the Bible is not just a book of uh, selected suggestions that I'm to peruse. And I, you know, I, I was talking to a young pastor, Bill, who said, you know, I, we were talking about some of the real black and white things that you have to take a stand on. And he said, well, you know, there's just some things in the Bible that, quote, don't resonate with me. And I said, well, what, what do you mean? He goes, there are some things that just don't resonate. I said, well, is is it true or is it false? And he said, well, I'm not going to say it's false because it's the Bible, but I just, I choose to, you know, uh, focus elsewhere. But Jesus said in John 10, 35, the scripture cannot be broken. And uh, I, I think part of the reason that the church in America is not as robust as she could be is because of the, the lax and selective way that the Bible is often handled. I mean, it's not a cafeteria line where you can take the entree that tastes good and skip the uh, Brussels sprouts that you don't like. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got to take the Word of God in its entirety. And it, it does take, I understand it takes teaching and some careful, um, you know, parsing out of... You know, okay, here's some things that were under law for ancient Israel. We're under the new covenant. But still, salvation, morality, um, what it means to be sanctified, to pursue holiness, um, 
the Bible is very clear. Uh, I just wonder how clear our pulpits are in proclaiming these things. Excellent point. Dr. Alex McFarlane is my guest. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion on heresy. And the question I have for Alex when we come back is, how do we guard against it? We'll be right back. Back to the show. So glad to be talking to Alex McFarland. We're chatting about heresy today. You know, at a certain point, Alex, you you would go and you would hear from your pastor, and maybe you would hear from a teacher of a Bible study. But today, with the internet, you can hear from twenty thousand people. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That that's true. You can get a lot of opinions and a lot of perspectives, and I think the possibility for heresy is now exponentially really high. So, how do we guard against it? Well. Uh, the Word of God, <laughs> you know, the, the word canon, we, Bill, we often talk about the canon of Scripture, meaning the uh, 66 books that comprise the Bible, 39 Old Testament, 27 New, the canonical books of Scripture. Uh, but the word canon can mean measuring stick. And to your question, Bill, the way that we guard against heresy is we have uh, an objective, uh, absolute, things by which we can measure truth claims. I do a little exercise in my youth biblical worldview weekends. I'll get, you know, like a big bright red ribbon or yellow ribbon, and I'll say, how many people think that you could um, cut a, a three-foot piece of, of this ribbon? And I, I have kids come up on stage, and, and I'll say, okay, a yard, three feet, 36 inches. And invariably, I've never had this fail, you know, you'll have three kids cut a length of ribbon and they'll all be three, three different lengths. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, wow, so you think yours is three feet? You think yours is three feet? Yes, yes, yes. So, so, but, but they're all different. How can we know? And kids will be saying, you know, get a ruler, get a yardstick. And I'm like, what? Do what now? And, and I'll <laughs> mess them. And I, I, I have a yardstick. I have a bright yellow aluminum yardstick on the stage and they'll say, if you want to find out which one is really three feet, you need a yardstick. And I'll say, I don't believe in yardsticks. I, and, you know, I get the kids shouting and everything. And um, so I'll say, look, they're all three different. One of these might be right, but they, it's potential that all three could be wrong. And they're like, yeah. So I'll reach around the table and I'll pull out a yardstick. And I give the kids a prize for participating. But here's the thing. The measuring stick tells me what is on the mark or what, what is off the mark. And that's, I think, why the Lord gave us the canon of Scripture. Because, you know, there's some things that are fairly innocuous. It doesn't matter. I mean, if somebody, you know, uh, whatever, uh, dietary habits, um, that's not necessarily going to determine your eternal destiny. But when it comes to things like who is God, the Trinity, Christ the Son of God, the atonement, um, you know, what is, what is discipleship? Um, yeah, we're talking about the souls of people, and, and it behooves us to always make sure that our conclusions are drawn from God's revelation, not from man's speculation. Mm -hmm. So, Alex, if 
we both submit ourselves to the authority of God's Word, I'm guessing that if we're talking to each other, there will be respect, and the chance for heresy is going to be mm, pretty minimal. Yeah. And, and, or and non-existent. Gotta, you, know, you know, some people... See, there's a difference between ignorance of God's Word and rejection of God's Word. Like the, the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there, there's one God, yet eternally existent in three centers of consciousness, three personalities, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know, people have asked me, do you believe the Trinity? Yes. People say, do you understand the Trinity? Of course not. I don't understand it. I definitely believe it. You know, um, I had a caller call into a radio show who said they'd never heard of it. And they, they were a born-again believer, but they'd never heard of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But, uh, you know, they eagerly received what we were teaching. It's one thing to be uninformed, but it's another thing to know and reject. For instance, there was a guy, he died. Bill, do you remember the name John Shelby Spong? Nope. Well, uh, good, <laughs> but um, I'm sad to say, I mean, he was a former Episcopal. He was, I mean, he was like wrong on everything, sadly, and he died, and I'm certain he did not know the Lord. But he, shortly before he died, four or five years ago, he said, and he was a, an Episcopal bishop, uh, an, an author. He was on Oprah. He was a clergy, but he was not a Christian. And he said, quote, I've become convinced that we must put an end to teaching on the atonement, or there will be no future for the Christian faith. Well, if we don't have, read 1 Corinthians 15, if we don't have a risen Savior who paid for our sins on the cross, we don't have a Christian faith. And, and Bishop Spong, and there's so many other liberals we could quote, but he said, quote, God is not a Christian, God is not a Jew, a Muslim, a Hindu, or Buddhist. I have my tradition, and I walk through my tradition, he said, but my tradition does not define God. Well, so we're living in a time, Bill, part of the reason I wanted to bring this up, and I certainly do thank you for giving me a platform from which to speak about this. We'll hear people very piously, very kindly say, well, you know what, you have your tradition and I have my tradition. Well, it's not my tradition, it's what God has shown us. There's, there's one person who claims to have the key to heaven, and he, he coupled that claim with an amazing level of proof, Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead. And he said, if you believe in me, you will have everlasting life, John 640. He said, if you reject this, you will die in your sins, John 824. So it's it, it sounds very polite and collegial to say, well, this does resonate with me. That doesn't you have your tradition, I have my tradition. But we, the church, the, the representatives of the Savior, we have to have the courage and definitely the kindness, but the courage to say, here's what God says about how to be saved. Here's what God says. And God has his word preserved, miraculous, fulfilled prophecy, the Bible, like the Son of God, miraculously validated the Bible, the Word of God, miraculously validated. But irrespective of any of our opinions, here's what the Lord says. And the wisest thing we can do is follow it. Amen to that. 
I think of Paul's letter to the Colossian church, there were certainly a lot of false teaching going on, and there were people in the church starting to embrace it. And Paul was just emphasizing the supremacy of Christ in that, and just a great, great lesson. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I, I realize, you know, as a pastor, I've pastored two churches and spoken in 2000, I mean, literally. Uh, and I know it would be nice just to be able to get up and just say happy things, <laughs> you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, it's just one of the occupational hazards with the calling to proclaim uplifting positive things is also the calling to call out false things that, you know, we're to exhort, you know, but we are also to reprove that the Bible says, and we're to uh, call out that which is false. And um, I just, I feel like, yes, there's truth, and that must be proclaimed, but yes, there's error, and that must be condemned, because we care enough about the eternal souls of people that we we dare not risk them leaving this world without the truth of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And Alex, the best defense out there is to know the Word of God. Amen. That's true. Um, immerse yourself in God's word, and not only will you learn, like you know, Second Timothy four verse two, but you'll become passionate about it. Um, the the longer I've read the Bible, and the more that I, you know, reflect and with the help of the Holy Spirit, try to live it, know it, proclaim it, internalize it, pass it on to others. The more in love with Scripture, um, you know, I am. Yeah. And and I think every every true believer would concur. Uh, I would agree. Thank you so much. That was an interesting topic, and I, I've enjoyed exploring it with you, and I appreciate you coming on the show today, Alex. Hey, thanks, Bill, and you thank bet. you for Faith Radio. You bet. Dr. Alex McFarlane has been my guest, and if you would like to learn more about Alex, you can go right to his website, alexmcfarland.com. If you want to receive a daily email featuring a scripture graphic you can sign up for the verse of the day at myfaithradio.com i think you should do it i think it's great we'll take a short break and we'll be right back with lots more thanks for listening programming like this is made available through your support Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.